Hello, and welcome to Dr. M's Women and Children First podcast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is podcast number 25. This week, we are speaking with Dr. Victoria Talwar. Dr. Talwar is a professor and the chair of the Department of Educational and Counseling Psychology at the McGill University in Montreal, Canada. Dr. Talwar obtained her master's degree at the University of St. Andrews before going on to complete her PhD at Queen's University. She has focuses for her research in the areas of child development, cognition, technology and education, development of lying in children, theory of mind, and child witness testimony. She has her own lab called the Talwar Child Development Lab, where they are currently focusing on children's peer social interactions, children's truth-telling and lie-telling, children's eyewitness testimony, and children's understanding of concepts of false belief. Most recently, and the current reason for why we are interviewing Dr. Talwar, is that she has published a new book called The Truth About Lying. Her new book helps us understand the underpinnings of lying, whether they're developmentally appropriate, when does it flip into dysfunction or pathology, and what we as parents really need to know. Most parents, including myself, want to raise a child and to a young adult who really has honesty and moral code at the core of their belief system. So when we catch a child in a lie when they're very young, it sort of sets us all back. Are we setting ourselves up for a problem? Is this child going to have a problem? Is there a, a concern with lying? And Dr. Talwar, through her research, has found that lying is really truly a normal part of development. In fact, you know, it's really a developmental milestone for most kids when they learn to lie. And then the question is, how do we show up for them, one, with our behavior, and do we promote more lying by actually lying a lot ourselves, or do we talk to them about how this affects other people and how it can affect them based on their decision-making? Dr. Talwar goes through a lot of this information in the book that she wrote, and we go through much of this information in the hour-long conversation. We talk about what is the current state of lying in the world? Like, do adults lie a lot? How often? Who's troublemaking? Are there a lot of bad liars or what we call pathological liars? Or is it mostly just people with rare, occasional white lies? We talk about why kids lie. You know, we talk about how lying is really truly tied to cognitive development, how children understand the morality of lying, which is a really important part, because if they start to understand the morality of lying, that tends to have a very important feed-forward effect on decreasing lying, and, you know, how parents in general can encourage through modeling and through uh, appropriate word choice uh, how to encourage truth-telling and honesty in their own children. So this was an excellent tour through the understanding of the social sciences of lying and how we as parents can utilize this information for the best outcomes as we parent our children into healthy, moral, young, honest adults. So with that, this is going to be a great hour of discussing a very fascinating topic about lying. So enjoy Dr. Victoria Talwar. 
Well, hello and good day, Victoria Talwar from Montreal, Canada. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here on Dr. M's Women and Children First podcast. Welcome. Thank you. So glad to be here. So I'm going to read a little bit um, from your book that was just published, which is so excellent. And I'm also going to read a little quote that I like um, regarding lying, because this excellent hour is going to be about the whole topic of lying. So um, Frederick Nietzsche once said, I'm not upset that you lied to me. I'm upset that from now on, I cannot believe you. And I think that's a very profound statement around lying. But you wrote in your book, um, because honesty is a foundation for relationships and institutions, we want our children to be honest. We have relationships of trust that we build with our children. When children lie, we can feel indignant, upset, frustrated, angry, or even betrayed. These are natural feelings when we discover someone has lied to us. However, with our children, these feelings can be even more acute and are mixed with concern. Why is my child lying to me? What does this mean about my child, about our relationship? Why should I, what should I do to stop this behavior? So you wrote a book, fascinating, I loved it, The Truth About Lying, to answer some of these questions for parents and adults who care for children. If we want children to grow up to be truthful and caring adults, we have to teach them. It appears that in general, most people are truthful most of the time. With that in mind, what is the landscape of lying in adults and children statistically and some of the information that you have gleaned from your years of research? Uh, you know, so what do we know at this time? So what we know is that lying is not like an uncommon behavior. People do tell lies. Uh, people who consider themselves honest may from time to time tell a lie. Um, statistically, it's interesting because, you know, um, so studies, researchers who have asked adults to self-report and they've done it through, you know, asking them to record the amount of lies they've told in a week or 24 hour period or, um, or some period of time, you know, some researchers found like within a, um, when they asked uh, uh, adults in a week, they found that most adults were telling one to two lies on average a day, but that, you know, there was a certain percentage, like 10% of their sample who were telling way more lies than that. So they were quite prolific. Like they had some that were telling over, you know, a hundred lies in a week. Um, one famous study, um, done by um, some researchers, uh, Kim Sirota, Timothy Levine, they got a sample of a thousand adults and they asked them how many lies they told in a 24 hour period. And so out of that thousand of adults, they found that um, five, I think it was 5.3%, roughly 5%, just over 5% told 50% um, of the lies. They had like about, in their sample of a thousand, I think they collected, it was just over 1600 uh, lies were told in 24 hour period from this thousand sample. 50% of those lies were from this small, like 5% of the sample. So it's like for that amount for like 50, that means that for like 50 participants in, um, in that thousand sample, they were telling uh, about on average, like 16 lies per day. Whereas the rest of them, the rest of the sample um, was telling like, um, you know, one or even less lies a day. So you can see that for uh, a lot of us, it is a behavior that we lie occasionally, but it's not a like frequent uh, behavior. We're not necessarily lying every day, right. but for a small center sample, they're lying a lot more frequently.
So that's sort of what the statistics tell us that there's kind of this, uh, you know, it is a behavior that adults do, but there's a small percentage that are sort of telling a lot more, more prolific uh, liars. And we see in children, um, children is a little different. Um, they are just learning to lie. So very young children might tell very infrequent lies because they haven't really learned yet or, but then they go through a period of kind of realizing they can lie and you may get a little more lying, but they tend to get socialized. The majority of people grow up to be the, you know, the most of that thousand sample, that 950 people out of that thousand told one or less lies a day. And most children get socialized to be similar. And so they, the line kind of drops off um, um, with time as they kind of learn, you know, only occasional lying is appropriate. Right. So do you think that, because um, statistically, obviously, this sort of reminds me a lot about, you know, politics in some ways, you know, you have the 90% of the people tend to be somewhere co-localized around the center of being pretty reasonable and everything. And you have 5% on each side polarized to be quite extreme and pulling in directions. And is that a, a, a function of for kids that somewhere along that developmental path, they learn a behavior that makes them become one of the 5% that lie a ton or how does that come to pass? So maybe we want to segue there into maybe the developmental stages of lying um, for, for this so discussion. So from, so let's just talk sort of what is more um, sort of the, the typical path um, okay. first before we get. And so for the majority of children, so, you know, if we think about the adult sample, like out of that thousand, like 950 told occasional lies. So you can see like out of most of the children, they're going to go through this sort of normal stage of like at preschool age, they just start to learn to tell lies and their lies are fairly rudimentary. So maybe two and a half, three, four, they're just, it's emerging somewhere in there. And, you know, these are lies like, you know, did you eat that cookie? No, you know, or shaking the <laughs> head kind of, and they're not necessarily the most sophisticated. Like, you know, um, I remember I caught a child and he'd eaten uh, cookies that were supposed to be saved for after dinner. Um, and, you know, did you eat that cookie? No. And there was like chocolate smeared all over his face. <laughs> and there was the chair up to the counter to get, he climbed up to get to the cookie uh, jar. So it was like very evident that he lied. Was, but he thought, no, we'll see if he can get away with it. So, you know, they're very rudimentary lies. They're not necessarily the best at kind of concealing. Um, and then what happens is kind of in the school years, their lie telling abilities become better. And this is tied to their cognitive development. So lying emerges to be able to lie. You have to be able to, you know, um, start to understand uh, the other person's perspective and understand that you can maybe make them believe something that's not true. And you also need to start to be able to control your behaviors. You don't want to give away the lies. So you have to have um, uh, develop some more self-control and, and try not to um, do anything that arouses suspicion. You also have to, um, to sort of give a more elaborate lie or, or to answer follow-up questions. You have to have, uh, it uses your memory, working memory, in that you have to be able to uh, remember what you said and make sure you don't say anything that sort of gives it away that is inconsistent with what you've uh, claimed. So as you can imagine, these cognitive abilities imp 
improve as children are getting older through the school year. So they're also their ability to lie and be pl tell plausible lies that kind of um, are harder to detect uh, also improves as they get um, older, as they're, um, but at the same time, they're getting messages that are telling them, you know, about the importance of honesty. And um, so what you see is that they, their ability to lie um, starts to improve in the school years when we get like, uh, you know, six, seven, eight, by nine, 10, they're getting pretty good at uh, concealing. Uh, um, and if they if they're lying and but at the same time we're also giving them messages so they may be starting to lie less than compared to when they were younger where they were just trying to get out of trouble all the time and trying to see if they can do that um, and then you get into the adolescent stage now adolescents can be very good at um, they're going to be good as any adult would be at uh, concealing um, and you know that varies by individual at this stage but um, they uh, are more likely to be socialized to know that lying, you know, we don't think of lying as appropriate, but they may tell lies. And um, in adolescents, sometimes you see an increase in some adolescents because they're trying to conceal information that um, from their parents about, you know, who they're hanging out with or what they're doing kind of thing. But what we do see is that uh, while uh, adolescents may tell more lies often to control information to their parents, by the time you get past kind of early adulthood, uh, as a general rule, uh, lying frequency kind of drops off. And, and do you notice that the small lies that kids tell as opposed to adolescents is more related to self-confidence? So they're self-deceiving a little bit to let themselves know, hey, if I say this, I feel good about myself, or is it more really almost always trying to get away with something? So this is a really good, uh, good question. And really uh, often, I think a difficult thing for parents to figure it out it, it, because what happens is at a young age, they're sometimes telling you um, false information, false stories, but sometimes those are not lies. So sometimes they're telling you imaginary stories that are part of their imaginary play. So, you right. know, like they come back from daycare and they say, oh, we went to the zoo today and I saw an aardvark and, you know, whatever. And they have this elaborate thing and, you know, they didn't go to the zoo. But often these stories are just part of their imagination and their imaginary play. And um, for parents, you know, I wouldn't, you don't need to worry so much about this because this is part of their whole imagination. That if you feel that your child's telling these too often, you can always, you know, say, well, you know, oh yeah, that's a great story. And then you can remind them, well, you didn't actually go to the zoo today, but you know, that's a great story you're telling. And, you know, but this is just normal part of imaginary play and very common for children to tell elaborate, you know, imaginary stories about, you know, things they've done. They went to the moon and things like that. Um, the other types of lies that children can sometimes tell are um, that they, uh, you know, like I'm the best at karate in my class. So self-presentation lies. But again, for very young children, they often have higher self-esteem naturally. They often, you know, and that's actually very normal and okay. It's actually as they get a little bit older in sort of grade school age, that that's when they, um, in terms of their identity development, you start to get social comparison. 
So for younger children, they may really think that they are really great at something because, you know, they don't do that social comparison with others. Like if they played, um, you know, soccer, they play soccer and they're really good at it. They don't necessarily compare themselves how they how they are with other kids. Once they start doing social comparison, then, you know, their self-esteem actually tends to drop a little bit as they start to figure out how they are with them. Um, in those cases, you still will maybe get children who tell self-presentation lies. At that age, those lies are often trying to bolster, maybe trying to bolster self-esteem, or they may be trying to make good impressions on others. They want other people to think really well of them. So again, I would say with the younger children, I would be less concerned. They're not necessarily lying at that stage. As they get a little older, they, yes, these lies can come in because they want to appear uh, positive in the adult's eyes or in another peer, another kid's um, um, eyes. And so they tell these sort of uh, lies to make them appear good. Yeah. And, and so going to the part where you're talking about earlier where it takes a lot more effort to tell lies as you get older and they get more elaborate right because you're trying to mm -hmm. maintain a perception of something you you want somebody else to believe occurred let's say take that as the type of lie hey i was here i did this and and over time you have to remember the exact way you said it so you don't get caught in the lie there is some work that's been done neuro, neuroscientifically where you can see parts of the brain regions lighting up. Talk to that a little bit, because I think that's sort of fascinating that, you know, it takes more effort. It's sort of like it takes more effort to frown than it does to smile. Sort of like the easy path is actually the one that we should all be taking. But in some respects, that, that, that difficult path is one that's often taken by some people who want to lie more, per se. So for a lot of lies, it takes a lot more effort to lie, right? Because you have to think about what you said and make sure that you just don't, you keep every, all your story straight. So if I lie to my parent and say, um, I'm going to, um, I, you know, I was asked where I was Saturday night and I claim I was at the library studying, I need to think that through because if my parent knows that the library actually closes at 6 p.m. on Saturday, and I make that claim where I was for Saturday night, I'll be, my, my cover's gonna be blown. So I have, to, I have to take the perspective of what the other person's knowledge is and make sure that whatever I say is congruent with their knowledge, doesn't violate their knowledge. And then also later on, if I get asked about like, you know, the library, was it quiet, loud? Um, you know, I have to think about, okay, what will the, what, what did I say before? Oh, yes, I said I was at the library, so I need to come up with a story about it. If they say, oh, did you see, you know, Sandra, she said she was at the library on Saturday. Now I have to think quickly, okay, how do I incorporate that information to the story I gave? You know, do I say I say it's Sandra? Do I say, oh, no, I was upstairs, you know? So you have to think, keep all these elements straight. Um, so, there's a lot involved in, in maintaining a lie and um, um, elaborating on that lie and um, answering follow-up questions to not give it away. So it does require more effort. It requires you to come up with the lie. You have to think about it. You have to concentrate um, on you know, what, what the other person's doing and saying. You have to make sure that you are not giving away. If you're face-to-face, -face, you have to make sure your you know, verbal expression isn't showing surprise or fear or anything that might make them say, well, what, why is this person reacting like this? So that 
all requires, um, you know, you, you're using your brain and, and, and requiring a lot of self-control, a lot of memory, a lot of cognitive functions. So this is why when they do studies where they look at sort of like how long it takes a person to react when they're asked a question to be and they're truthful versus deceiving, there's often a delay for deceiving as the brain sort of um, trying to process and come up with the, the, the right way to answer. Um, so as I, um, we get older, we get better at this. So that's why young children are not very good at um, telling plausible lies necessarily. As we get older, we get better at this, but yes, it requires, it's not the easier path, it's the harder path in many ways. But then why do we then take that harder path? Often for older, for adults or adolescents, we choose that path because it seems the better of our options. We may, we have, um, so uh, some researchers uh, like Timothy Levine talk about, we have a truth default. We default to the truth almost in all our interactions and communications, but ever occasionally we override that default to tell a lie. And the reason we do that is because there's some motivation that makes that a better option to us, even though it might require more uh, cognitive effort than we think telling the truth is. But there are also other cases where it doesn't require more cognitive effort, where actually lying might be the easier option because sometimes there are like uh, efforts where telling the truth seems too more complicated. It, it's, it, it revolves having to tell a whole story, explain explanation. And so we uh, pick the easy option and just tell a lie, you know, like, uh, you know, if somebody asks you, why didn't you come to my birthday party? And, and you have a long explanation that's, you know, requires to disclose a whole bunch of personal information you don't want to disclose, or you have to say something that you think will, the other person will make them upset because they think that you kind of um, didn't want to come to their birthday party or whatever. You might say, oh, it's just easier to say, oh, I'm sorry, I was sick. Right. Easy option, end of story and you don't have to go through the big uh, explanation discussion. So sometimes a lie actually isn't harder, it's just an easy option kind of thing. Like you can imagine if you're having really like a really hard time, something's really bad happening in your family life, or uh, there's some, you know, something bad is uh, difficult is happening and you go to work and somebody says, oh, so how's it been going? And you just think, I don't wanna share this. I don't wanna explain this. You say, oh yeah, everything's fine. Right. Everything so technically the fine, white, but it's an easier answer, right? Right. Sort of like the white lies. We, we call them mm -hmm. wherever that moniker came from. I'm not sure, but, but you know, it's just maybe save somebody else's feelings or save ourselves the feelings at the time. I understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, if we look at kids, you know, specifically as they start to learn to lie, um, what do parents do in their own behavior that tends to promote the lying, i.e., how the parents may be acting that makes the kids see either the behavior that they're doing that they emulate or something that they're doing that's not negating or downplaying the effort for the child. So I think um, there are a few points. One is that, you know, if, if honesty is something that's important to you as a parent, then um, you should talk about it and, you know, emphasize it in your day-to-day -day life because, um, you know, thinking that they'll get that by osmosis, they may or they may not, depending on all the other, uh, you know, messages that they're getting in their life, 
right? And there's a, um, initially, you know, parents are the first educators. The first teacher you have in your life is your parents. Um, you are with them um, from, you know, the moment you're born. Um, so they are, they learn from you, but then as they get older, they're learning from other people, they're getting messages from other places in, in their social environments. Um, so you want to make sure that your voice and what you, the values and the behaviors that you wish to your children to embody, that you um, teach those and communicate those to your children. And so if honesty is something important to you, then, you know, uh, then make sure that, you know, it, it's communicated to the child and it's shown to be valued within, um, within the family environment. And so how do you do that? Well, you talk to the child about it, um, not necessarily when they've just lied to you. At that time, you may not, um, you know, you're not going to necessarily have a big, long discussion about truth telling and, and honesty. But, you know, as it comes up, as you see other people be honest, you know, you're at the at the grocery store and somebody uh, gets uh, extra change back from the teller and says, oh, you know, sir, you gave me extra you, uh, and hands it back. You can comment on it, say, oh, look how honest that person is. That was really great. So you can comment on, on, on it when you see it as a, a behavior around you. You can also, um, uh, stories, stories are a great thing with children. Um, uh, young children, you can read stories and that are about, you know, characters that are honest, that are, tell the truth, um, even when they maybe uh, have a reason not to tell the truth. And you see a positive uh, outcome for that. For uh, older uh, children, you know, you can still be uh, uh, reading stories or engaging in sort of storytelling with them. Um, and or talking about the books they're reading and what the characters are. And whenever there's opportunities to talk about sort of what are the, the positive behaviors characters are uh, showing, you know, talking about, well, why did they act like this? What, what do you think um, as they get older? You can also talk about when, you know, characters are dishonest or deceptive and why did they act like that? And what would be a good way to do that for older kids? For younger kids, you know, you wanna keep more simple stories. Um, so stories are a great way to have these conversations. Um, some parents have, you know, uh, just family time where they talk about different virtues and like what their, uh, uh, you know, what the virtue is and how did you, how do you um, embody those virtues and they play little games or things like that. That's something that um, can be done. There are different ways that you can have these conversations that um, show that you, uh, that this is an important value amongst the other ones that you're teaching. The other uh, thing you can do is, you know, if, and very importantly, actually, this is a very important point for parents. If you're getting, giving the message that you think honesty is important and that you value truth telling, but then uh, you yourself are exhibiting dishonesty and the children are seeing that, um, you may not, necessarily think that it's having an impact you may not even consciously realize it but it's giving them the message that yes honesty is the best policy we all adhere to this and speak to this uh policy and claim but in reality we can actually tell lies um here and there as we want so you know if you're going to the movie theater and you're lying about the age of your kid to get them in for cheaper um, or things like that, they observe those behaviors and they learn like, yeah, honesty, we all value honesty, but in reality, we can fudge it um, now and then. So you're kind of undermining that message a little bit. So that's 
an important thing is to think about your own behavior and um, how you're behaving, you know? So if they hear you like uh, complaining about a neighbor and, you know, oh, that guy is so awful, you know, and I hate the way he like, you know, cuts his lawn on a Sunday morning and da, 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 da. And, um, and then, you know, uh, they see you talking to your neighbor and you're like, oh, hey, and yeah, you've got a great lawn. I love the way you look at, you know, but that, that insincerity, they perceive, they, they notice that. So um, you have to make sure that you kind of walk, uh, walk the walk. So if, if it's important to you, then you also have to think about your own behavior. And the final important point that I would like to make is that if you value honesty, you should recognize it when they're honest, because so easy to recognize when they've been dishonest and to get upset. You know, uh, if, if we detected them in a lie, we can definitely uh, deal with that. But we often forget to recognize honesty, um, especially because sometimes they're being honest about something we're unhappy about. So we just right. deal with the thing we're unhappy about, um, but we, we don't even acknowledge the fact that they were honest about it. And it's worthwhile acknowledging it because it says to them, okay, they appreciated that I was honest about it. They're still unhappy that I've like, uh, you know, was playing basketball in the house and broke my, my gra the grandmother's vase or something. Um, but they appreciate and they value that I was at least honest about it. So saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you were honest about that. Um, however, you know, I still, I want you to remember you're not allowed to play basketball in the house. And um, so dealing with maybe the transgression, but making sure that when you see honesty, that you value it. And when they're honest about something like, you know, um, they say honestly that they don't want to do a certain uh, thing or, you know, you say, well, I'm glad that you, um, you know, uh, felt that you could be honest with me. So recognizing it when they are honest and showing that you appreciate that is important. Yeah, I think that's, that's so cross pervasive in parenting in general, where we tend to carry too much of a stick and not enough carrot. And I think if there was more carrot, that's a reinforcement for the behaviors we really want to see. And I, I, I echo that sentiment in, in many different ways for, for parenting. And I think that's a very good statement for parents to hear very clearly in the, the news to use for how to really avoid these situations in the future, spend more time focusing on the positive things your child's doing that the behaviors you want to see as opposed to focusing all of your attention on the negative behaviors when they show up, because it is easy to send a child down that pathway. I'm always just a bad kid. So I'm just going to keep being mm -hmm. that way. That really doesn't go well over time and, and, and plays out tends to they plan tends to play out in a way that none of us want to see. So I was thinking of one little segue here that I, I, I thought was pretty fascinating. You talked about a study by Mazar or Mazer at all in 2008, which was pretty interesting because I think it sort of leads to almost a little bit of cognitive dissonance where you had the 20 matrix number tasks that were done with the adults. Talk about that a little bit because I think that's sort of fascinating. Yeah, so that was a study they did with adults where they had them do uh, matrix tasks and they were purpose matrices tasks and these were difficult tasks. They knew that for in these tasks that, you know, on average, people only got, uh, for instance, two uh, correct, for instance, if they gave them like, uh, I don't know, I can't remember the exact number they gave them, let's say they gave them like uh, 10 to do, and on average, only two could, they could get two correct in the time they were given. So they knew they were very difficult tasks. Um, and they would give them to adults, and then they would ask them to report, you know, how many they self-report, how many they got right. And what they found was that 
um, a lot of people lied. But they didn't lie like they wouldn't claim like they got 10 out of 10 right. They would only lie a little bit. So they fudge it a little bit. Like they'd say they get two more than they actually got. So if on average only two, could, they could do two, they would say, oh, I got four right. So they would lie a little bit, but not um, a lot. And they, they increased, so uh, they had people who um, got like a small amount of money, uh, like say 50 cents for each um, uh, uh, matrix they got right. And then they, they, would, they had different conditions where you got more amount, more money. So maybe a dollar for each matrix. Um, and what they, they thought, well, people, if they were motivated because of the money, they would claim more. But what they found was across conditions, even when they increased the monetary reward you would get, they still only fudged it this little bit. Um, so that, um, so what they suggested is that, you know, for most of us, we like to think of ourselves as honest people. But when our self-interest is involved, we will lie, but we'll lie only a little bit because more than that threatens our own self-image of ourselves as honest. Whereas a little bit, we can get away with it. It creates, um, uh, it doesn't create cognitive dissonance because we just lied this little bit that increases a little bit our self-interest, but not to the point where it causes a threat to our self-image of ourselves. Um, but interestingly, they did another study where they had people, um, uh, they asked people, uh, okay, um, before they did the matrix to list 10 books that they read in high school, up to 10 books. And so the people had to write them out. Um, so this was a kind of just a, a control condition prime. Um, in the other group, they asked them to write up um, the 10 commandments that they could remember, if they could remember them. So to write out the 10 commandments. And so this was to prime them on sort of like their sort of moral standards by writing out the 10 commandments. Commandments. So after doing that, they put them through this sort of task with the matrices and they had to self-report. And what they found was uh, you've got the typical uh, lying happening in the control condition where they did uh, wrote out the books that they remembered when they were in high school. But in the other condition where they had to write out uh, the Ten Commandments, um, adults didn't lie. So they had thought about their moral standards, they'd engaged in that, and then they had, um, that had made be more likely to adhere to those moral standards when they were then in their behavior. So this, um, this came out in 2008, and it echoes what we found um, earlier with children. Um, in 2002, we did a study uh, where we had children where we just asked them to um, promise to tell the truth. And what we found was when we just simply asked them, uh, will you promise to tell me the truth? And they said, yes. Then when we asked them if they you know, had uh, uh, committed this transgression, um, we found that children were more likely to tell the truth. And it served as the promise there in that case served as a sort of moral reminder. And another set of studies with children, we um, told them before we asked them about uh, their transgressive behavior, um, and in, in our study, we weren't doing matrices, so they they were they had a game where they um, could guess the names of different toys, um, or for older kids, they, it was like a trivia te, uh, trivia questions, and there were different cards with trivia questions. Um, they were left alone uh, for a period of time, and they could peek at the answer. Um, but they were, of course, told not to peek. That was cheating. And then we would come back, and um, 
like I said, if we asked them to promise to tell the truth, children were more likely to tell us, yes, they had peaked. And when we told them different moral stories, we found that, um, again, this uh, reminded them of like, you know, their, the, the moral standard of the importance of honesty. And we found that, uh, uh, again, more children told us the truth about peaking. So moral sort of moral reminders of different natures can sometimes remind us of what of the importance of these values, these moral standards we hold, and then we are more likely to uh, have our behavior be congruent with those moral standards. This concept is kind of the concept of moral disengagement. Why do, like, like we said, most adults think honesty is very important, they value honesty, they don't like dishonesty, and they don't being, uh, like being lied to, yet adults tell occasional lies. Well, they, we, what we do is when we do lie, we sort of morally disengage from these moral standards and these values of, of honesty because we kind of um, use these sort of ideas of, of um, different kind of mechanisms of disengagement to sort of excuse the lies. Um, and so this happens, you know, in children and it happens in adults when we, when we lie. So often though, by simply this kind of re moral reminders that kind of make us re-engage and think uh, um, explicitly about what we think is important can often remind us and then we are more likely to be acting in alignment with these moral values. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And how does that then tie into true cognitive dissonance? So for example, a, an attorney uh, adjudicates a case and they find out that there was some uh, data that was mildly suppressed, but they don't want to have the case overturned. So they'll make up a story around how that was admissible or something like that to preserve the, the mental side of their belief that they did the right thing. How does this then lead into that? Or are they completely disparate realities in how we see things? Well, um, moral disengagement, um, uh, mechanisms like sometimes we excuse it because we think well we're really doing um uh you know that that person for instance sometimes we think well that person has already done a bad thing so it doesn't matter that i uh lied to them or sometimes we do it well everybody lies about this so that's the diffusion of responsibility so we have these kind of ways to uh reconcile that uh that uh, cognitive distance because the cognitive distance is I believe that honesty is good and um, I am honest and I, I tell the truth. And then we are now lying. So we have to reconcile why we are still honest and truth telling. And so these are kind of essentially the excuses we use to make it feel that we are not really violating our, our concept of ourselves and our idea of ourselves as being honest people. Right. Right. And I think that's, that, that to me has always been the fascinating. I, I, as time goes on, I'd love to someday do a deeper dive into the neuroscience of this. Cause I think it's all there, there's gotta be some fascinating reality to the epigenetics of how that, that shift occurs in certain people with that ability to maintain that over time. So let's segue here. Cause I want to be cognizant of your time. I love this whole discussion, but I, I want to get to the sort of the practical reality for parents. And I know you touched on a little bit already, but when, when we, when we start to see and develop, pick the developmental stages as you wish to, but what are the practical things that parents can take and use outside of their modeling? Mm -hmm. How do they then respond to a child at, it, at whatever age you want to begin with to say, hey, let's see how we're going to fix this. I know probably the simplest answer is remain calm and don't get 
energetically overloaded into the situation, but how would you start to break down for parents how to deal with lying and pick a stage? So I think for uh, parents of very young children, um, the best way is to start teaching them about the sort of pro-social and moral behaviors that you wish them to have. Make it a regular thing that, that you do, whether it be, you know, a story time circle and you pick different stories that embody, you know, honesty and kindness and, and things like that and talk about it regularly. And, you know, think about it. You know, we often uh, think about, you know, oh, I got to teach them their ABCs and how to count. But this is also very key to them being well socialized, happy um, people to grow up as individuals. This is about developing those internal character traits that we wish them to embody. And when parents are asked, you know, what do you want your child to be like? They often talk about, you know, these types of behaviors of being honest, of being kind. So we shouldn't neglect them. So as a young child, you can start. And by doing that and having those conversations and having that language that you use, um, that creates a, a, a basis that you can then refer back to as they get older and it develops. Um, but then also you're going to have children. It's, it's normal and natural that children are going to um, tell lies occasionally. We already established that adults tell occasional lies. So then what do you do when your child lies? Well, often the reaction we have is like, oh, my child lied to me. And we're very upset by it. It is a violation of trust. It's, you know, it makes us really, and, you know, not to overreact. I mean, that time I told you about the little boy and the child, I mean, I had to stop myself from laughing because it was just so comical. Um, And he was kind of sweet, but I didn't want him to think it was okay. But um, on the other hand, you can go the other way and get really, really upset. How can you, how dare you, you know, you violated, you, uh, I told you this rule and you, you know, how could you lie to me? So we shouldn't overreact. Um, We have to deal with it in the moment, deal with the transgression if they're lying about transgression as well as a lie. So, you know, say, well, you know, um, I don't want you to lie to me. And, And then, you know, reinforce the you know the rule about like what they have contravened or for instance um if but often um then later when you're out of the heat of the moment you can go back to having a conversation about truth telling and uh, um and how to behave and one of the things that again stories and other examples are good is that they are good at showing how to be truth tell truthful. So for instance, we found one story that was really good at uh, promoting children being more likely to tell us the truth was uh, the George Washington story. And, you know, what is it about the George Washington story and the cherry tree that was, uh, why did that communicate to children? Well, in that story, George Washington cuts down a cherry tree with his axe. And then when he's asked about it by his father, he's truthful, right? He says, father, I cannot tell a lie. And he tells that he was the one that did this. Now, his father's really upset about his cherry tree being cut down, but he's proud of his son for telling the truth. So this story illustrates a child telling the truth about something that they could lie about, that they might get in trouble for, and they see that there's a positive outcome, that the, fa- that the father is proud of his son for at least telling the truth about this. So these are examples of show children how to behave. So we also need to be mindful that Lying can sometimes be the thing you do because you're like, ah, I'm so scared I'm going to get in trouble. I'll just lie and see if I get out of trouble. 
And obviously you don't want them to, to positively reinforce them for lying. That's not a good behavior, but you also need to teach them how to then behave. They need to see examples. They need to, you need to have conversation. How do you be truthful about things that are hard to be? Adults wrestle with this too. You know, if you've done something wrong at work and you get asked by your boss, you know, it's hard to be truthful about it because you fear how the, the boss is going to react. Right. 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 So we have to teach them how to do that. Um, and the, um, the, the other thing is not to um, be punitive in terms of how we uh, deal with lie telling. And this is really important because um, it, what it communicates, yes, you don't like that behavior. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't discipline them, but there's a difference between like punishment and discipline. Discipline, you're providing, you know, you're, you're saying, no, this is not appropriate behavior. There is a consequence. But a punitive punishment can actually, all it can, can end up communicating is, okay, I need to uh, be careful not to lie around this person, or I need to just not get a, get away with it, get better at it. So I'll right. give you an example. Uh, we did a study where some uh, there were two schools, very similar uh, place, but one school just had sort of more discipline that was kind of like timeouts. You had to go to the see the principal, or you had to um, you got verbal reprimand that kind of. The other one actually had a, a corporal punishment, um, um, and it was you know, what we found was that the kids who were in the corporal punishment school, these are young kids, they were more likely to lie than the kids in the other. They both lied, they were lying in both schools, but it was a, at a higher rate for the kids in the corporal punishment school. Because the idea is at this stage, you know you're getting in trouble even for small offenses, they would get in trouble. And um, you know you're gonna get into a lot of trouble. So to try and mitigate the negative consequences to you, um, you might as well go for broke and lie about it. But what we found was not only did they lie, but they were way better at concealing their lies. Um, uh, in young children who often aren't the best at concealing their lies, they were much better at it. And the thing is, if you're gonna try this strategy of lying, you, might as, you need to learn to do it really well. So these kids were trying to manage the sort of punitive environment to protect themselves. And they learned lying as a protective strategy uh, because they were getting extreme punishment, even for minor, minor offenses. So um, you have to be aware that when you're in a very punitive environment, lying sometimes develops as a, a self-protection strategy. Right. And so give examples of better uh, consequences. And I think of that in the positive consequences or to your, to your statement, discipline instead of the punishment. What are really good, you know, early stages, you know, the one to four year old consequences as opposed to punitive approaches? So I think at the young age, I mean, if you're just catching them, a, a, like, early on where they're just starting to lie, I think it's enough to say, you know, to, to verbally reprimand, say, you know, I do, you're not, I don't want you to lie and let them know, communicate that. They're just still learning about it. Right. And often a parent's disapproval is, you know, all in itself quite, you know, a negative consequence for the child. Right. Um, as they get, as it goes on with time, you, um, and you, you, you want to have, if you're only having the conversation about lying and truth telling when they're actually lied, then you're probably not doing enough to distinguish that behavior. Because as we talked before, there's the right. carrot and the stick. And you need to also be sort of positively reinforcing them when they are honest, right? 
and um, putting emphasis on that and also having conversations out of the heat of the moment um, about truth telling. As they go on then, when they lie, you can refer to that, those types of conversations for saying, you know, I'm really, um, you know, you, um, I'm upset that you lied to me. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'm upset that you did whatever, you broke the vase. So if you had told me the truth, you know, I would have still wanted you to, you know, pay for it with your pocket money. But because you also chose, made the choice to to lie to me, as well as that, you know, there's going to be an extra consequence for that. And you have to think always what is an appropriate consequence for, you know, that child and that age. You don't want to do something so extreme, um, especially when, you know, the, the lying behavior is not a behavior that's happening all the time. If you go too extreme, um, that becomes very punitive. But, you know, something like, you know, I want you to, you know, you have to do an extra extra chores or you have, you know, it has often something that's related to the, the, the transgression, the behavior. So, you know, if they're, uh, they're going on their, you know, phone or something at a time when you don't want them to at night, you can say, well, the consequences, you have to give me your phone, uh, you know, by a certain time at night for the next three days or something like that, or, you know, make it a consequence that is meaningful to them, but right. appropriate also for the level of that transgression. Right. And I tend to think, um, piggyback onto what you're saying that one of the things kids need more than anything with adults is time spent together so when you punitively punish a child for lying or whatever the transgression was and you isolate them either with time out or whatever that doesn't give the child as much love learning right and so i oh. think that to what you're saying is very clear hey you just said this let's sit down and read a book that talks about what you just did together and i want you to go yeah. through with me and explain to me why this hurt that person, right? Where, where does it feel for them what you just did? And that I think it puts a lot of pressure back on the child to cognitively learn the right path while being held and loved, which I think is is not talked about enough in in modern parenting. And I think I come out of a generation that it was very punitive. Most of the things that um, when I was growing up, it was punished first almost always. And, you know, my parents were very loving, but it was a very different world. So I think this is a much better way to start thinking about it. And to your point also, the more intelligent a child is, the better they're going to learn to manipulate the lying experience because of the punishment, right? So it's a double whammy if they're smart and they're under corporal realities that they're going to find a way. Is there is there clear data that that pushes that five percenters to do the more lying or is it just more inherent genetics? I mean, I'm always a big fan of, I think there's a lot of nurture um, I know there's nature genetically, but is there's more nurture. So what do we know about that? Okay, I'm going to make two points. First, I'm going to just answer that one about like, um, sort of um, those that lie more kind of thing, and whether that's related to, you know, being more intelligent and things like that. And then I want to come back to the point about the nurturing the bond between the parent and the child, okay. because I think I absolutely agree with you. And I actually think that's really, really important to emphasize and to just uh, speak a little bit more about that. So the first point is, so about those uh, children, uh, of those adults or children that sort of line becomes more problem behavior. I don't believe that they're all one group. I think they are, they are very. So there are some that are, you know, there, there are some people that are very good manipulative liars 
and it may be related, they're quite intelligent. And, you know, there has been some that lie, you know, it's, uh, lying is used in a very Machiavellian way and tied to uh, uh, psychopathy. Uh, but there are also others that are more so, um, um, there's also pathological lying. So um, pathological lying, well, these terms get chain, used interchangeably and it causes confusion, but um, uh, Hart and Curtis suggest that pathological lying are people who lie and they do it kind of in habitual way where it actually does damage their social relationships, but they have a hard time not doing it. And they often come to psychologists and they're aware that they're doing it, but they also almost can't stop themselves. Now, these people aren't necessarily Machiavellian in doing it. In fact, many of their lies may be actually lies to sort of smooth their social relationships with others or to make people think really well of them kind of thing. And they just kind of learn to go to this strategy, which is maladaptive in a way. So it actually is harming their social relationships, but they keep using it as a tool to manage their social relationships and the impression of others on them. Um, so that's a little different. And then I think there's also, if we look at it, there's some, you know, children and adults who may be getting into trouble a lot. So there may be some that have like problems with impulse control, and uh, they do things and because of this impu uh, impulsive behavior, and then they use lying as a, a band-aid strategy to try and see, you know, like get out of trouble for what they kind of got themselves into kind of thing. And they may not actually be great liars particularly, but they're just kind of doing it because they're kind of, they're, um, they constantly are getting into trouble and, and maybe engaging in more kind of um, impulsive behavior or getting into trouble, um, the potentially, you know, disruptive behaviors. So I think there are different potential uh, sort of profiles of problem behavior, uh, problem line. And some of it may be related to intelligence, but some of it also may be related to other uh, factors as well. And then there's, I think, another category of people who generally are not liars, but then they get themselves into a situation in life where they suddenly start lying a lot. Like, um, a spouse who uh, starts, uh, gets into an extramarital affair and suddenly is lying all over the place and it starts spilling into other, they're lying relating to things about the affair, but suddenly they spill into other things and they kind of find themselves kind of careening out of control in a sense because they start telling lies all over the place kind of thing. So also there can be situational factors that may develop in an individual's life where suddenly they start telling a lot higher frequency of lies. So I think there are these different profiles. Um, because there, it's a small percentage, it's hard sometimes to fully get at those, uh, at those. but that, that based on you know, seeing a ver variety of case studies and, and, and um, what we know scientifically, this is what I think is happening for these small percentage of people who are lying is a problem. So getting back to the point about the bond, uh, between the parent and the child. I think that is a very crucial key point for parents. In fact, it is the point for parents because um, like I said before, parents are the first educators. They are the relationship between the parent and the child is key to the child, even as they get into adolescence. So when your child is young, of course, you're kind of their whole world when they're like a baby, but you remain very important to them if you are nurturing that bond. 
And it doesn't mean that you have to be with them 24 hours seven, but you have to have quality, positive time with them where you're engaging in activities together, you're talking, you're reading stories together, you're spending time together. Um, and that has to be quality time. If you are doing that, you're creating a very strong bond. It will become one of the strongest bonds the child will have throughout their entire life. That also makes it easier for you when you have to discipline them because you have the bedrock of that relationship. And you don't need to necessarily go so punitive because that relationship with you is important to them. And so, and you can also use the language and the framework that you've established with them by teaching them about the things that are important, values and pro-social behaviors, you can refer back to that. So you don't have to go, you know, a barrage of language to them when they're getting angry. You can just simply refer back to this and they know what you're talking about and they know how important this is. And they know that they've kind of violated that. And so this creates sort of the framework um, of, of also how, how they see that they should be in the world. And that maintains, if you maintain that relationship throughout childhood and adolescence, in adolescence, many in our culture, many adolescents are going out in the world, they're engaging with other, uh, other teenagers, they're engaging you know, with the wide world on social media. So they're getting lots of messages and things like that. And so they're not, and they're not necessarily spending all their time with you. But when you have a strong bond, a bond of trust and um, a mutual affection where you do still spend some time together, they may not tell you everything, but they're gonna feel more comfortable to tell you things. And by creating a bond where they know that they can confide in you and they can talk to you, even when they're going to tell you stuff that they know that you're not going to be super happy about, but they understand that, you know, you will listen to them right. and you will try and understand their feelings and their perspective and you will try and be reasonable. But at the same time, you uphold standards, they are more likely to come to you. And that's important in adolescence because there's a lot of things you don't need to know everything you don't need to know what they're talking about with their friends all, all the time or everything, but there's some key things you do need to know and you do want them to come and tell you about. And uh, you want them to feel comfortable to tell you about things that may put them in harm's way or if something's happening to them. So really maintaining that bond means that there's more disclosure. Teens disclose more to parents when there's a strong um, a bond with their parents and there's a strong feeling that their parents, um, that there's this sort of uh, mutual respect of their feelings and that, but they also are more likely to recognize the authority of parents to set parameters and uh, boundaries as well when they have that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think back again to the nature versus nurture part, your colleague up there, uh, Moshe Schiff, has done a bunch of work looking at nature versus nurture and animal models and translational stuff. And I think that's, to me, that's the key point is maintaining that bond, because I think epigenetically, that's the, the piece that's going to turn on the correct uh, neural circuits that yeah. may predispose exactly. to that moral code as well, I think, you know, and you look at I know there's a consistent finding in the, the work you've looked at that the younger adults tend to tell more lies than older adults. And as we age, we tend to be more honest as we gain more moral compass. Mm -hmm. um, and so hopefully if parents maintain that moral compass earlier and more constant, then that connection with the child and that bond stays stronger and therefore they're less likely to adapt into that lying behavior. And so 
all of this stuff makes incredibly fantastic sense to me. I think your work is exceptional. Um, I love how you've laid it out. And, and for those that um, don't know, and they will know now after, after this conversation, but your book is excellent. It's called The Truth About Lying. Um, I know that everybody will enjoy the read. I know they'll enjoy listening to this podcast as well, because you, you brought some what I, what I call some, some fancy news to use information for folks. Because lying, although it seems intuitive, um, I don't think it's the science was really easy for me to into it, right? As I'm reading it and learning from it, I'm like, yeah, this is a lot of stuff that I, I, I sort of understood, but maybe not so well. So there's a ton in here that's, that's great for people to understand. So, you know, if, if there's anything else you have to think about to share, please do so. But um, where can people follow you? Because you have some fantastic information. If they want to follow you on Twitter or do you have a social media page or is it really just get to book and learn the book? Yeah, they can uh, on, on Facebook. My, I have a, a Tolwa Research Group Facebook uh, page where we, we post about our current research that we're doing with children and our latest findings. Um, and also um, the Twitter handle can also, they can, when we get uh, new papers out, we put, post them up there. People actually want to read the research. Um, so they can find us in, in those ways if they want to follow us and, and learn about the, the latest science. And your and your Twitter handle your Twitter handle is um, at Talwar Research. At Talwar T A L W A R Research. Yeah. Okay, and and yeah, yeah, your papers can be found on Google Scholar. I mean, your again your work, but I, I for me, you've put in a lot of hard work and effort into the book. To me, that's the first place I think people should start. I think that book is excellent. Um, it just launched July 19th, if I understand, which is two days ago. Is that correct? Yep. Congratulations. Yes. Um, Thank I you. Know, again, I watched my wife write a book and I saw the hard effort and journey and the progress and the struggle. And so for me, I, I, I am grateful for the amount of effort and time you've put into this project, because again, for me, this is how we get the information to the parents to raise the next generation of kids to be better, more truthful, more morally compassed humans and individuals. So um, I'm very grateful for your work. Thank you. Do you have any last things you'd like to share? Because I have one last question I want to ask you. Uh, no, fire away. Okay, so I ask this of all my guests. So um, if you had, and again, you're in the you're in Canada, so I'm going to give you a ticket to give to the United States government, but you get one ticket to ask the government a a an ask that you would like to see implemented in society. And for me, I think they should change school lunches. I think the food the food we feed our children is abominable. It should be the highest quality so that they're health is set for the future through high quality nutrition. Is there something that you would like to see in society changed um, and you'd like the government to make that decision? Well, in, I think uh, that's interesting about the school lunches. Um, I would say I would also add to that that they should have um, outdoor playgrounds that are not all tarmac, but they should have green spaces for the kids to play in. Yeah, dirt um, and grass. Plenty of research shows that, you know, you do better cognitively and you're calmer and less anxiety if you're in uh, green spaces with, you know, uh, vegetation. So I would say that. But on the on, on the topic of the book, I would say that, you know, investing in um, sort of a key part of education is not just, you know, the reading and the writing, but it's also a social emotional 
uh, development and learning. And I would say, but investing in like evidence-based sort of social emotional learning that is shown to be effective and, you know, um, and, and, putting that in and making that a key part of, of, uh, of the schools for, especially for elementary kids. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very grateful for my children who were in a school locally as a charter school in North Carolina that was run by a phenomenal um, leader who I'm going to interview in the next coming weeks. And her entire principle is heavily around emotional intelligence and making sure that Mm -hmm. children really learned a lot of the things you're talking about. And it was it was profoundly beneficial to the to to my children and all the children that I see around them. And I think yes. this should be the way we're across the entire spectrum of schools, um, yes. because without emotional intelligence, it's, you know, the IQ is functional, but not going to get you to where you really need to get to. I see lots of people, even in medicine where I'm at, who are very smart, but socially they just really fall down on the ability to translate information effectively and be in conspiration with another person, right? To be co-conspirators in a project moving towards the best. We tend Mm -hmm. to think of conspiracy as a negativity, but conspiracy just to breathe together, right? So getting people to work together is is so important. So again, I absolutely appreciate your time, your effort, your book, everybody um, get on it. You know, it's it's just something that I think is, it's too universal for, anyone to say they don't want to read your book. I mean, lying is just too critical. So the truth about lying, Dr. Victoria Talwar, thank you for your hour and your time. And, and I really appreciate you. All right. Thank you very much. So there you have it. A fascinating discussion with Dr. Victoria Talwar, all about lying. You know, I think if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. That was once said by Mark Twain. And, you know, as Dr. Talwar pointed out, it takes a lot more energy for your brain to remember the stories that you have to make up in order to keep a lie going. That's a lot of effort. So to teach a child at a young age to be truthful most of the time will help them overall, one, live a good social life so they're not caught in lies and becoming untrustworthy and frankly, unliked as they go on in age, but also it's a lot less taxing on the brain. You know, that that Nietzsche quote, I'm not upset that you lied to me. I'm upset that from now on, I can't believe you is very important because as a parent child dyad or a friend to friend dyad or whatever social relationship you have in order to stay in contact and connection and eventually have a really high quality relationship you need to be truthful, right? Because it's very hard to be in relationship with somebody if you don't trust them. I think of Sir Walter Scott's poem where he says, oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. Every child practices to deceive. But when does that practice turn into pathology? And that's the key for parents to be focusing on in the early ages? How do we keep kids on the straight and narrow from an honesty perspective so that the foundation for their relationships and their life moving forward will be fruitful, right? We have to have relationships that are built on trust, especially between parent and child, then eventually between uh, the child and other children, and then as they age between themselves and their spouse and then their children. You know, we, we really need to help keep that 
struggle moving in the right direction because otherwise it does teach children and adults to become frustrated, indignant, angry, even betrayed against each other. And these feelings can destroy relationships and destroy someone's someone's life in general in the future. So she had some great take-home points, you know, looking at what can we do as parents, you know, show up consistently, you know, make sure that we're calm when we show up to begin the process of discussing with a child what lying is and look at consequences primarily more than punishments. You know, let's talk about what this is all about, the lying, instead of rushing right to a punishment of your grounded this, that, and the other, right? There, there's a whole way of approaching a situation with a child. We know that our kids acquire a large percentage of their behaviors through peer interaction and education, right? Peer interaction we can't control very well, but education we can. So it does behoove us to teach them how to appropriately stay safe, how to do mathematics and reading, how to you know, write an essay and do other things. And in this case, as Dr. Talwar states, teach them how to be honest and be moral and not to lie frequently. You know, If there is some lying in random events, but they're not consequential, then really that probably doesn't matter terribly. We want to remain calm when we catch a child in a lie, which frankly, according to the research, we probably only do half the time, right? During that calmness, we want to respond to the underlying motivation. What is the child doing that's causing them to want to lie? And focus the teaching around that rather than punishing them and making them suffer. Like, why would you think it was a good idea to lie in order to get that extra cookie? Is there a way around you having to lie to have that extra cookie? Can we help understand why we don't want you to have five cookies, right? So these are all the things. Then eventually, if none of that's working, then, you know, get some professional counseling. And then some punishments may need to be a part of this. But again, consequences tend to be a better choice in the framework of teaching. We want to pretty much always head down the land of how can I work with you together to learn from this instead of punishing? I think that's just a very critical way. The podcast with Dewey Freeman, we get into this a little deeper, and I think it's a really excellent way of looking at things with parenting. So with that, I'm going to leave you. I hope you enjoyed that one-hour discussion with Dr. Victoria Talwar. She is a stimulating conversationalist as well as a great writer. I hope you pick up her book, The Truth About Lying. It is available on Amazon and at Barnes & Nobles. And for that... I am appreciative of her time, and I hope you all hug your kids. Have a great day. And now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional. and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This podcast does not constitute the development of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.